Thanks for tuning in. This is Carlos. And this is Giselle. And you're listening to a true crime podcast about some famous and not so famous heists. And the masterminds and knuckleheads behind them. This is Thievery Podcast. We are back. Episode four <laughs> of Thievery Podcast. How you doing, Giselle? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. And I love how I ask you how you're doing. Like we both don't work from home <laughs> and I don't see your face 24-7. Every single hour of every, every moment. day. Yes. <laughs> I can't get you out of my sights. <laughs> but actually, this is uh, the first episode that we record since uh podcast launch yeah so we uh we got a lot of feedback mm -hmm. lots of good feedback you know we did. Um, yeah people love your voice which is a good thing yeah because i don't think you could stand my voice <laughs> that's not true <laughs> unless we're up here recording you can't stand it <laughs> just kidding my wife loves me um yeah. yeah we've gotten some really good feedback um Something a lot of people don't know is um, how we go about recording these podcasts. Mm -hmm. So what happens is I do the research um, during the week and I go ahead and I write out the whole episode. Mm -hmm. And then since we're both parents, um, you know, we do we, our we do our we thing. do our duties as a parents. We finally put the baby down to sleep. Mm -hmm. Then we come up here to our little loft studio mm -hmm. and uh we start recording. Giselle knows nothing of the stories. These are the first time you're listening to it is just like her first time hearing it. Yep. Um, yep. I don't know anything about these stories. Yeah. I like to keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, so it's it's fun. The first time that, you know, he tells me the story, it's the first time I'm hearing it. Um, and usually my reactions, well, actually all the time, my reactions are genuine reactions to the stories. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So now that we uh, got that out of the way, <laughs> let's get into some thievery. Let's do it. On this episode of Thievery, we take you to the year 1997. And like we always do at this time, <laughs> I want to set the scene of this time period. Let's do it. 1997 was a very popular year. A lot of stuff happening in 97. I probably remember a lot of the things that happened in 97. Right. I was old enough to remember. All right. Well, let's let's see. <laughs> um, 97 gave us lots of popular shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Which was a mega hit. Yeah. And one of my personal favorites, The Crocodile Hunter, starring Aww, Steve Irwin. R.I.P. Danger, danger, danger. Stop. No. There's a crocodile, mate, and he's about <laughs> no. to chew up a dingo and a and a kangaroo. Okay, okay, no. Terrible. No, terrible. You're terrible at accents. The koala struck me, mate. No, no. Better? The koala. Isn't that Australian? <laughs> yeah. But... There's koalas everywhere, mate. <laughs> Stop. Stop it. All right. <laughs> it also gave us blockbuster movies. Like Titanic. Wow. Men in Black. Oh my gosh. And one that I know for a fact you probably haven't seen, The Fifth Element. No. Which is another big hit. I haven't seen that one. And uh, Boogie Nights, which was another good movie. Okay, but first of all, Titanic back in the day came in two VHS tapes. Do you remember that? I do remember Came in that. two parts. Mm -hmm. 
And Men in Black was like the best movie of all time at that men- time. You actually mentioned it the other day. You were like, oh, I would love to see Men in Black again. Yeah, I haven't seen it in years. And I wanted to be like, it's in my story. <laughs> but I didn't want to give anything away. I loved that movie. Yeah. We also have a lot of uh, honorable mentions for 97. Um, the Tamagotchi. No. You remember that toy? Of course. I had a thousand of those freaking toys. Yeah. I loved them. I was obsessed. Yeah. Tamagotchi was like a little digital pet that you'd have to like feed and then like. Kids these days And have it would like no shit idea. and you'd have to like wipe the shit off the screen too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it taught you how to like take care of like a pet. <laughs> really? <laughs> As being a parent and a pet owner, let me tell you, Tamagotchi taught me not a damn thing. You were responsible for taking care of your little pet on your Tamagotchi. Are you kidding me? I'd get out of class and I'd look at my Tamagotchi screen. It'd first be starving and it'd have like three (laughs) to four poop things I'd have to clean. Terrible parent. My Tamagotchi was living in crap. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> 97 also took away a lot of things from us. Um, a lot of famous deaths. Uh, Notorious B.I.G. was a big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you mean that? Oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that, but uh, no. No, uh, no, no pun, pun intended. No pun intended. Uh, Chris Farley was another big one. <laughs> oh, my God. This is happening organically. Oh God, mother! I'm t- dead. <laughs> oh Jesus! Hold up. Do we need to stop this before? We- I'm sorry. Okay, uh, go ahead. All right. Uh, mother Teresa and Princess Diana all died in '97. Did you know Princess Diana was on the radio the day she died? Yeah. Well, to be honest, she was all over the dashboard and everything. Carlos. What? <laughs> oh my God. Was that? You too soon? said that. Uh, I know. Anyway. <laughs> 97 had a lot of things going on. So now that you're familiarized with the era, let's get into some thievery. Let's do it. Today's story revolves around Philip Johnson. Philip was born 1964, and he had a pretty rough childhood. His dad abandoned the family when he was just three years old. His mother was forced to live on welfare in a public housing complex in Atlanta. And when he was eight, he was separated from his siblings. And from then on, he bounced around a lot. He was shipped from Rochester, New York, to Pennsylvania to live with some in-laws, and then back to New York. He also had a brief stop in California to live with his father, before his dad put him on a bus from L.A. all the way back to New York. That's so sad. Like, he was only eight years old. That's really sad. It is sad. It's, it's It's a really shitty way to live, and it affected him pretty bad. Philip became cynical, and he really distrusted all male authority figures. You know, I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. His dad put him on a bus from Cali to New York. What a piece of shit father. (laughs) You couldn't put him on a plane? How long is a bus trip from California to New York? A bus? That must have been 19 days on that thing. (laughs) Oh, terrible. terrible. I hate his father. That is terrible. Just for that move right there. Okay, you're going to ship your kid away. You're already a scumbag, but then you put him on a bus on top of it. You're doubling down on your scumbagness. And by himself? Eight or nine-year-old at that time? little kid. Terrible man. What a terrible man. Um, But Philip finally found some sort of stability with an aunt who uh, paid for his high school tuition at Lima Christian Academy in New York. This became the most stable period of his life. But he still had some issues. 
Besides never trusting the male authority figures, he just had the worst attitude. He viewed the world so negatively, a big Debbie Downer, the meh, my life sucks kind of guy. <laughs> Girls didn't like him either. He got no action. <laughs> yes, he was the anti-poon. Oh my me, God. Nobody likes me. My, he was who's going to love me? My life sucks. Big me. negative cloud, probably. Oh, dark cloud. <clears throat> but, but he did have a few good things going for him. He was described as being very meticulous and he was also super smart. Just to prove how smart he was, it was said that he scored a 1,200 on his SATs. And to prove how dumb I am, I had to Google <laughs> how good that was because I had I no say, clue. I was going to say, I don't remember what the, like, the score, like what, what was a high score. I don't remember. Me either. To be honest, I don't even think I took the SAT. You had to have taken the SAT. No, I had to take the FCAT to graduate. <laughs> and, uh, you know... I had to take, I remember this. Um, Let me tell you this little quick story. I had to take the FCAT to graduate and um, the math portion. I just did not pass the first time. Oh, God. Yeah. So I got my friend to take it for me. Oh, my God. And just to prove further how stupid I was, I didn't know how smart my friend was. (laughs) And he scored me off the charts. (laughs) Seriously, like the high school administration wanted to come meet me. They were like, who is this goodwill hunting ass kid? Yeah, and you probably did terrible all semester, all year long. Right. And then suddenly you're like. I'm like doing quantum physics with my eyes closed. (laughs) No. Mind you, this kid like works for NASA right now. Oh my God. Oh my God. No. Anyway, back to Philip Johnson. Let's circle back. After high school, he decided he wanted to become a cop. Mm, But the Christian school he attended was not thrilled with this choice. Someone who knew him in high school was quoted saying, we didn't think he was the one of those guys that we wanted on the highway protecting us. Oh, my God. This guy can't catch up. Wow, people have nothing nice to say about him. I mean, it it must be for a reason. Yeah. But Philip didn't care. That's all he wanted to do. So he attended Monroe Community College near Rochester, New York, where he got a two-year degree in criminology. After, he moved south to Jacksonville, where his mother and sister were living at the time. Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. That's correct. Um, and he started applying to different police departments. But it was proving to be very difficult for him to secure a position in law enforcement. But it wasn't going to stop him. Hmm. That's where that meticulousness keeps coming mm-hmm. in. You know, he's like, no, nah, it's not going to stop me. I want to be a cop. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while he was looking for jobs uh, as a cop, he was hopping around from job to job. He couldn't he couldn't hold a job down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From demonstrating vacuum cleaners to selling Amway products. He just had a bunch of different odd jobs while he continued to apply for his dream job as becoming a cop. Okay. Uh, and Philip started getting really bitter about it. Mm-hmm. He constantly bitched to his friends that it was some excuse or another why he couldn't land a job as a cop. I feel like no one on the force had the decency to tell him like, Look, nerd, we don't want you on the force. We're looking for that varsity quarterback who blew his knee out in the championship game. <laughs> you know, that's the type of guy that they want as a cop. You know, the, I could have gone pro. That guy, that's what they want. Not that my life sucks. Oh, I got a 1,200 on my SAT, man. Yeah. Horrible. <laughs> but the actual reason yeah. why Philip couldn't get a job as a cop 
is because his previous deployment in history. Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. He was just jumping from jumping job to job. Jumping job to job. No loyalty. So I guess that was proven to be a big issue. It's a red flag. Yeah. Um, so he finally got a temporary position as an armored guard for Loomis Fargo. Okay. For seven bucks an hour. Oof. Yeah. So basically what his job was is that guy who like goes into the convenience store with the bag. Mm-hmm. Gets the money and walks back into the truck. Mm-hmm. And the truck drives back to the cash depot where all the armored cars bring in their cash from the businesses around the city mm-hmm. and they store it there in a vault. Mm-hmm. That was his job. But for seven bucks an hour? Yeah, oof, that's terrible. That's crazy. At least if he was a positive person, he could have been like, yo, I get to carry a gun every day. I'm yeah. kind of like a cop. Yeah. You got to handle all this money. Yeah. Like a rent a cop. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, for seven bucks an hour, it was really shitty. Um, Philip was annoyed about this. Um, and, uh, but he just stuck to it. Hopefully, hope, hoping to see, oh my goodness, hoping <laughs> to land that, that police position. Yeah. Um, time passes, uh, with no, nothing, nothing. Yeah. And he came to realize the depressing realization that He's been at Loomis Fargo for 10 years. What? Yeah. Still making... 10 pe- years? Yeah. Still making peanuts. No overtime. 10 years passed and he was still trying to be a cop that entire time. That entire time. It just wasn't working out for him. Always I mean, had some sort of excuse. That is pretty depressing. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it to him. It's depressing. Yeah. So, like I said, still making peanuts. No overtime. No health. No dental. No pension. No shot ever becoming a police officer <laughs> by this point philip's self-confidence was in the shitter he was described by his fellow colleagues at loomis fargo as angry negative lonely grumpy oh my gosh. constantly complaining about everything oh my gosh always looked disheveled uniform shirt untucked wrinkly no that kind of guy okay yeah there's no way he could ever be a cop yeah people hated working with him he'd show up for work late or not even at all oh wow everything he did he screwed up (laughs) so essentially just a world-class sack of shit (laughs) and no one in his corner and no one he was impossible to like no one liked him so it was like no one could like fight for him or vouch for him you couldn't, you couldn't no even one. feel bad for him you're just like uh bro at least be <laughs> likable man damn all right but then something remarkable happens march 29th 1997 around 7 p.m philip's truck was the last truck to return to the depot the driver of the truck went home for easter weekend and philip followed normal procedure and helped two other guards james brown and dan smith he helped them process the latest cash load that came in. The facility was empty except for them three. Philip then decided to do something outrageous. He pulled out his company issued 38 revolver oh my God. and pointed it at Dan, excuse me, at Brown and Smith. No. Yeah. He took their weapons from them and handcuffed and shackled them to the floor. Then he grabbed one of the unmarked plain white Loomis vans from outside and pulled it into the facility. And for the next two hours, he loaded canvas bags with bills no smaller than a $10 bill. Wow. Yeah. And he loaded it into the van, damn near reaching the roof. No. Yeah. Coins, 
checks, ones, and fives were all left behind. All of the cash he took from, um, all the, excuse me, all the cash he took came from fast food restaurants, grocery stores, and convenience stores. Mm-hmm. So it was all unmarked and non-sequential, making it practically impossible to track. Philip then went to the security office where the surveillance systems were and removed all the videotapes that were recording. Wow. He also went into what I'm assuming is the HR office and took out his personal file, <laughs> which I thought was like the most petty thing in the entire world. Like, So that one extra step. Yeah. Like, bro, everyone knows it's going to be you, Philip. Well, also like, he held people hostage. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Come on. He then swung the huge vault door closed and set the timer for the next day. Okay, so that it couldn't be opened Mm -hmm. by anybody. He then instructed Brown and Smith to get into the van and lay on top of all the money and keep quiet. (laughs) Philip then drove away calmly from the cash depot with $18.8 million. Wow. Today, that would be $30 million. Wow, that's a lot of money. At the time, it was the the largest national cash robbery ever wow so having all that money is great and all but it did create some problems philip had stolen half a ton of cash that's a thousand pounds of paper you know my gosh i didn't even think of that moving that around is no joke it's like moving a fridge all by yourself (laughs) plus like where are you going to store all that you can't take it to the bank you need to find like a dry safe place for it yeah but philip had a plan Philip's first stop was at his home, a tiny little house about a mile away from where he worked. He aimed his gun at Brown and took Brown inside his home. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then he handcuffed him to a pipe in his closet. Oh, my God. He left Brown with snacks and water. (laughs) All right. (laughs) If you pull a gun on me and you drag me into your house... Like, I'm, I already think I'm going to get killed. Yeah, yeah. So you drag me into your house <laughs> and you leave me with snacks and water. You better leave me the best snacks on earth. And the best water. Yeah. I, yo, I better be a bottle of Evian. <laughs> Don't even try me with no Zephyr Hills. <laughs> Dasani. Oh, Dasani. You might as well shoot me in the head. Okay. It better be, a, like I said, a bottle of Evian. I want Gushers. I want Nestle Flips. Yeah, the vanilla Flips, ones. Fire. Fire. And definitely some Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> if they, if Philip Johnson took you and handcuffed you to a pipe and left you with water and snacks. This what, could potentially be my last meal. What snacks would you want? Mm, snacks, I would say probably like Cheez-Its. Ooh, good choice. Peanut M&M's. Another good choice. Popcorn. Mm, and kettle corn, maybe. No, popcorn, because then I put the M&M's in the popcorn. Um... Yeah, that would be, those would be my, my snack of choice. All right, cool. And right. water. And definitely some good water. Yeah. Anyway, Philip jumped back into the van where Smith was still lying, quietly, I might add, and he continued driving. He drove for two more hours with Smith in complete silence. The only thing he ever said to Smith was, I'm willing to kill you if you try anything. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. So Philip finally stops in a wooded area near Asheville, North Carolina. 
He told Smith to get out of the van and he handcuffed him to a tree. That's terrifying. Yeah. But he left snacks and water for him as well. That's nice. (laughs) And before he left, he told Smith, I'll alert the authorities of your location within 24 to 48 hours. (laughs) Then Philip jumped back into the van and continued with his plan. He drove to Mountain Home, North Carolina and stored the money in a like a storage shed. Like mm-hmm. a, yeah, one of those like um, like where we keep like yeah, like we, a self storage self storage facility. Place. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be long before the authorities would be on his trail, because Smith, who was handcuffed to a tree, had a Swiss Army knife in his pocket, oh. and he managed to pick the cuffs off. Wow, what a boy scout! I know, he picked I'm the impressed. Cuffs off? Oh my god! Good for him. Yeah. Um, so he, when he picked the cuffs off, he managed to like run down to the street and, you know, alert the police, mm-hmm. um, the cops and the FBI surround Phillip's house. They ended up releasing Brown, who was still cuffed to a pipe in the closet. Mm-hmm. Evidence gathered at, uh, Phillip's home led investigators to believe that he had been planning this heist for at least five years. Oh, Wow. And just an insight on Philip's state of mind during this time, investigators found three words spray painted in red across his bedroom walls. House of pain. <laughs> uh, dramatic. Oh my gosh, Jesus. this guy. I can't. Yeah, like just what extra. <sighs> just super yeah, extra. Yeah. I wish it said laces out, Dan. Because I feel like that's what his room looked like. It probably looked like Ray Finkel's room in Ace Ventura 1. <laughs> and if you don't know what that looks like, I'll put up a picture on my Instagram because I'm telling you, <laughs> spot on. I bet that's what it, his room looked like. And I bet you his room stunk. For some reason, I think his yeah, room smelled bad. I mean, he doesn't sound like he was like a clean guy. No, you no. Know. Just by his appearance, yeah. his room probably smelled like ball sack. <laughs> anyway. Philip ended up ditching the van in a parking lot that day. And then the FBI believed he bought a ticket on a Greyhound bus headed to Mexico using fake IDs. And he slipped across the border and vanished. Vanished. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And now you would think this would, this heist would land Philip on the FBI's most wanted list, but it didn't. And that's because during this time, the FBI were after Andrew Cunanan. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if that name sounds familiar, that's because he killed five people over the period of three months, one of which Mm -hmm. was Versace. Yeah. And actually, that happened right here in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, Because I remember the traffic. I never forget because it was right around my birthday when they caught him. Mm -hmm. And um, it was right kind of like by the Fountain Blue there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I just remember that whole scene happening. Yeah. Crazy story. Crazy story. Anyway, but Loomis Fargo wanted Philip caught and wanted their money back. So they offered a reward of $500,000 for information leading to his arrest. And it kicked off an international manhunt. Oh, wow. Yeah. But Philip was uh, seeming to be a hard man to find. The FBI agent leading the investigation was quoted saying, the grouchy, lonely, everyman had another advantage going for him. He looked pretty much like anybody and in effect, like no one in particular. So he was just a generic, just generic guy. guy. Like just, 
So go find Man. him and we'll give you a half a million dollars. Yeah. Like And good luck. And good luck because this guy <laughs> looks like absolutely everyone and no, and no one, one at the same time. <laughs> a few months after the robbery, there was a huge newspaper article published with Philip's picture and the headline reading, Have you seen this man? He's 33, single, lonely, grouchy, no. rumpled, and very possibly the richest thief who ever lived. You're kidding. That was the headline of the article. Are you kidding me? They couldn't just say, have you seen this man? Picture. Done. No. And like brief description, like no, no, brown no. hair. Like, are you kidding? This sad boy got just <laughs> kick him when he's down. Just a couple more extra kicks. This Philip Johnson, bro, I can't Man. catch a break. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know why the article had to do him like that. <laughs> then on August 30th, 1997, a few months after the robbery, a bus that was crossing the Mexican border on its way to Houston, Texas, was routinely stopped. The border patrol asked her normal questions to the passengers, but one passenger raised her suspicions. When asked questions, they seemed sweaty and nervous. What the kids nowadays would call sus. He was sus. Definitely acting real <laughs> sus. Unsatisfied with his answers, the agent pressed him for more information, including his identity. The ID given to the Border Patrol agent was a North Carolina driver's license for Roger Lauder, which popped up as an alias for Philip Johnson in their system. Oh, my god! So gosh. that name was tied to him somehow. Uh, I believe maybe when they checked the his room and he had like all the fake yeah, IDs or whatever sure. he was making, like, yeah. it was like one of them. Wow. So it, like it alerted their system and Philip was arrested on the spot and turned over to the FBI. Wow. Yeah. At the time of his arrest, he was carrying uh, $10,714 in cash. Hmm. And another 65000 had been deposited into eight Mexican bank accounts. Wow. As well as several phony ID cards and birth certificates. <laughs> Philip denied committing any crimes. He actually was belligerent to everyone he encountered while in custody. I mean, I'm not surprised. He put up a fight the entire time. I'm not like surprised. Just a complete asshole. Yeah. You could even see the mugshot. We'll put it up on our Instagram in our, in our reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that even in his mugshot, the cops had to hold his face up. Oh my to take a God. Photo. He's like a child. Yeah. Like just became like a complete jerk. Yeah. Independent of Philip's arrest, investigators were already following a trail of clues that led to the North Carolina storage shed. And on September 18, 1997 of the nearly 20 million stolen all but. 186,000 of it was found in that North Carolina storage facility shed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Philip ended up uh, pleading guilty to interfering with interstate commerce, which is essentially like committing robbery or extortion, mm -hmm. money laundering, and kidnapping. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is a pretty long time. I mean, it's yeah. a long time. But you pulled a gun on people. Yeah. You took hostages. Yeah. He also had like fake identities. Like, yeah. I mean. Yeah. So you got the book thrown at you. Yeah. But Johnson was uh, released from prison October 3rd, 2019. 
in his late 50s. Wow. So like recently. Yep. And he just disappeared off the face of the earth. No one has ever, no one has heard from him ever again. Not his family, nobody. Wow. They don't even know where his last known whereabouts are. Just completely off the grid. Oh, well, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a lot of people like checking in on him, seeing how he's doing. I don't feel like his family like cared for him much. So he didn't have any friends. <laughs> yeah. No one liked him. No yeah. one liked him. Not even, no one. <laughs> not even God clearly because couldn't get anything straight for him. <laughs> But yeah, that's the story of the Loomis Fargo heist. I can't believe he left Mexico and came back into the States. It drives me nuts. Like he could have been gone, gone, gone. forever. No and one knew where he no was. one would have found him. Once I saw the article posted, like saying like, oh, have you seen this man? Like clearly they're desperate. Yeah. Like, bro, you could have been gone. Come back years later. Yeah. You got enough money. Yeah, but also he had a lot of money stored still in the States. Exactly. You could have came back for You had enough money, though, on you, cash, to make it it for a few years. You know what I mean? You could have, like, waited for things to lay low. You waited a few months, and then you come back across the border? They would have raided that house. Like, they they already knew about the house. So, I mean, they would have found all that money. No, like, he went to Mexico. I would have stayed in Mexico. I know. I I know. Me, too. I I never would have come back. Yeah, or if you do come back, come back like years later. Like 30 years later. Yeah. Your your prison sentence 25 years later. Right. (laughs) Stay in Mexico for 25 years. I mean, but I guess eventually they would have found the... They would have found... Storage the shit. They found the storage shit. They already found it, yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. That's a crazy story. That was was a good story. That was episode four of Thievery Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget, we're dropping a new episode every Monday. So definitely tune in to that. Yes, and make sure to click the follow button from wherever you're listening from so you can get the latest updates and episode drops. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram at Thievery Podcast. And if you have any feedback, questions, or story submissions, you can shoot us an email at hello at thieverypodcast.com. And also leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is that you tune in from. We'd really appreciate it. But um, yeah, we'll see you next Monday. Later. Bye.